Hello again and welcome back to the show. Uh, I, of course, am your host, Jack. And it's your boy, Josh. And we are back with another episode. Uh, this week we have a very special, special episode. Uh, our first special guest is joining us and we're going to introduce him in just a second. We're very, very excited, um, obviously, to have somebody else that is passionate about movies. And uh, yeah, we think you're going to like this episode. So uh, super excited about that. But first, before we go any further, this episode, of course, is sponsored by our friends at Jury of Wolves, shameless promotion, um, obviously wearing the hat, wearing the shirt. Josh is always wearing the gear. Uh, mm-hmm. You can get 10% off your order using the discount code. Hope you hate it. Um, so do that if you need cool, cool gear. More importantly, what's coming out, what has come out, right? We're two episodes mm-hmm. into the House of the Dragon. Uh, I'm sure for those of us that have seen it, we uh, we have we have opinions. Josh, you... You really, I, really liked. <laughs> you really, really liked that first episode. I'm just kidding. I really liked episode two. I thought yeah. it was awesome. So it it has restored a lot more of my faith. Yeah, I thought it was excellent as well. Yeah. Um, but just as another side note, uh, compared to August, September sucks for things that are coming out. I only have mm-hmm. three things that I even I'm interested in seeing. Tell me so, about them. So tomorrow, uh, Lord of the Rings: Rings of Power. Mm-hmm. Episode one premieres. We've been waiting forever talking about that pretty much all summer. That's awesome. So that's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, then on the 13th, you have Clerks 3, which mm. I don't even know if you knew that that was coming out. I knew that they were making it. I wasn't sure okay. the release date on it. Yeah, 13th. And then all the way at the end of the month on the 30th, uh, a movie called Smile, which looks mm-hmm. creepy as all hell. It is a horror movie. So mm-hmm. that's that's it. That's it for the months of September. <laughs> now, obviously, there's other things that are coming out, but those are the only things that caught my eye. Right? Mm. Did you have anything that uh, that you saw or you're excited for? I'm trying to think. I mean, because there's been so many good shows that have just now started. So, like, my weekends and everything are, are generally booked watching, mm-hmm. um, you know, the new episode of C, the new episode of Game of Thrones, uh, the Welcome to Wrexham. Um, FX just released the new one with Steve Carell, The Patient. Oh, yeah. um, but that one just came out. So I watched those episodes last night. So like each week I have lots of stuff that I'm watching that are taking up a lot of my time, which sure. I'm happy with. So I haven't really paid attention to other new things because I'm still excited about the new ones that just came out. Yeah. True. Well, I mean, maybe that's good because this month will give us some time to catch up on things. Uh, Mm -hmm. Speaking of catching up on things, again, without further ado, uh, this week's episode, we have a real American film historian, Cody Fletcher, joining us on the show. Uh, Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, again, as I mentioned, whenever the, the episode started, we, you know, we're excited to have somebody else that's passionate about movies. Uh, and even more so from a different, uh, from maybe a different viewpoint, because you liked a lot of movies that, although I agree are good films, I like, they're not ones that I'm like all gung ho about. And, and several of them you've told me and I'm like, yeah, it's a great movie, but you're like, no, but, but really like, this is a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if, why don't you take a few minutes and, uh, and tell us a little bit more about your like movie background. Sure. Absolutely. Again, my name's Cody. Um, so my movie background, I used to do a lot of reviews back in the 2013, 2014, 15 years. Had my own website, um, often did a lot of press viewings, uh, first releases into film, into the theaters rather. Um, so I used to write a lot of reviews uh, around those times. And just uh, background before that too, um, just getting into film in general, I started getting a, an interest in in the cinematography, the writing. I think I became more immersed and immersed and just became more of a critic. Uh, not to not to turn down films or anything, but just become more observant of the talents behind behind the screen, um, mm-hmm. what was done to create a, a good story, um, a good character, and to wrap it all in a good package to make a good film. And once that turned on, and once those uh, once those radars were active in my mind, it just uh, became a passion, and it hasn't left me since those times. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, probably from our point of view, cause we're around this, around the same age ish, right? All, right. all three yeah. of us are kind of around the same age. So we kind of grew up in what I consider to be like a, a very unique time frame for film in general. Right. Mm-hmm. There's just, 
so many classic movies from the mid 80s to the mid to late 90s. And obviously there's been um, a million fantastic movies you know, since the year 2000. But that span of 15 years, I think, really shaped how I looked at movies. And probably you could probably say the same thing to really by the time you're you're, you know, really getting into critiquing and reviewing movies in, you know, 2014, 2015, like you said, you have a very unique perspective. I think like the both of us when it comes down to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For um, sure. Yeah. What are, what are a couple of the movies that are like your favorite? Um, ones that really grabbed me, um, you know, it's, it's going back to just the, uh, how much the, the actor can, can bring you into the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story, the writing, I think if, if you have any good kind of body of work as far as a writer goes into a screenplay, um, sometimes the writing can make the actor not always the other way around. Um, so some of my favorite films, um, gosh, it's, it's a loaded question, honestly, when, when you're <laughs> in this category of, uh, you know, of, of uh, obsession and, and interest. But, um, you know, movies like The Awakening with Robin Williams, um, mm-hmm. any kind of good dialogue films, uh, Good Old Hunting, both happen to be Robin Williams, but... Um, mm-hmm. The Reverend with Leonardo DiCaprio, oh, any yeah. kind of deep, immersive um, character development in a film can really just pull me in as long as the writing's there. Um, mm. Anything else that falls into play, cinematography and so forth, is just uh, icing on top, if you will. Um, it's really, it's really neat to see people take it seriously to the point of um, getting immersed in the character, whether with, within literature of their own writing or stories written about that person, and just kind of see it fall from there. But yeah, those kind of films are usually my my passions. Um, I try not to get too deep and serious about it because there's a lot of good films out there that aren't dramas, um, mm-hmm. good comedies and so forth. But um, you know, cult classics like The Big Lebowski and that kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, when you get into this kind of filmmaking, where you're trying to make something that's worthy of a Best Picture, um, Best Supporting Actor, or Best Actor in general in a, lead, in a leading role, um, these are the kind of films that usually uh, conjure that and and make that possible for those kind of people and. Yeah. Those movies just seem to be the ones that that pull me in um, mm-hmm. that I like. Nice. I, I again, I think it's like it's very unique because um, as as much as I absolutely love being immersed in a film, I love the cinematography aspect of it. I mean, that's another thing that you and I have in common: the photography yeah. side of things. Uh, just looking at it from how a, a scene is shot and how they set it up and how they execute it is so uh, it, it can be absolutely incredible it can be a story in yeah. and of itself just to capture one sure. singular you know scene i still kind of go into mu- uh, movies with like this kid's awe where like i don't especially with the first watch through i am so on the like the the side of i just want to be entertained because it should be this big spectacle that i try to not break it down in a, uh, you know, is this film a 10 out of 10 for dialogue, a 10 out of 10 for cinematography, but try to experience it as a whole. And I think Mm -hmm. that that can also be limiting too, because you end up watching a movie that is brilliant in a million other ways, but you're like, you know, I, I wasn't as immersed in it as I should have been because I was focused on, you know, being entertained. Right. And like, I think you can, yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting um, how many different ways you can watch a movie and get get something completely different out of it. Mm-hmm. Right? For sure, and, you know, and sometimes I think you can't turn it off. It's when I go see a movie, you really have to be co- cognizant of what you're doing as a as a film buff. You know, do I want to keep those sensors on? Do I want to be focused mm-hmm. on the little things that I shouldn't really be focused on? Sure, just enjoy the movie. Um, I think it on, I think it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it, I think it depends on what I'm seeing too. I think. You know, going back to seeing Top Gun recently, Top Gun Maverick, yeah, um, and what they did with the old story, kind of washing it and making it a film anew, and mm-hmm. creating a new element to the film, uh, a little more uh, drama, a little more of a love story, but nothing, nothing too eighties uh, cliche. They kind of got sure. rid of that a little bit, but kept some of the original story. And then, and thinking that film is where I was able to turn it off a little bit. I couldn't help but notice a lot of the shots of the the of course of the. Uh, the IMAX films inside the cockpit of the actual jets and a lot of the advancements mm-hmm. they've made since the eighties, those were um, hard to ignore and, and stunning shots and, and videography and that kind of thing. Um, but also I can't help but have it turned on 
at a very high volume when I see films reluctantly like Fifty Shades of Grey, you know. So <laughs> there was some films that were maybe yeah. I wouldn't have gone normally, but I, you know, being in that at that time when it came out, I, I felt the, the need to go and to write about it, and um, it was hard to sit through it. Found myself. Sure. Often surfing on Amazon's app, looking for the best deals in the middle of the film, <laughs> in, the back of the theater, in the back of the theater, you know, being yeah, cognizant yeah. of my people around me. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of whatever film you go into, and we've talked about this before too, um, but, you know, going in to see an 80s action film um, or going to see a drama that came out, you know, two years ago, I think it's, you know, your radar will kind of detect, what, you know, kind of decide what you want to do and how, what kind of viewer, viewer you want to be. Sure. So. Yeah. I, I think it's a, uh... It's interesting that you brought it up in the way that you did, obviously, given the topic that, you know, we're, we're going to be discussing. I think that you, the way that you look at films and what kind of draws you to your, your favorites uh, makes you a perfect person to talk about um, kind of the, the, the overall arcing theme of what I wanted to discuss. And that is method acting and how, you know, some of these roles that we see actors get into, how it affects them mentally and how deep they have to go to get into into characters um you know it it's a very interesting art acting right like you, you right. think that it's okay from the outsider point of view like okay well you're just you know that this person has a nice to, nice to look at face and they're standing in front of a camera and they're reciting lines and they're but like so much goes into like we mentioned the cinematography the shot the setup the you know all of the stuff that goes into even shooting the scene and then the person has to put on the show has to act has to say the lines has to give the inflections in the voice has to make the little twitches in their face that really sell what they're trying to do right Mm -hmm. and that is ultimately what draws you in and these actors that are diving so deep into their roles that they themselves have a hard time getting out of it makes Mm -hmm for an even more intriguing story, but also sometimes to their own detriment. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, yeah. it's looking at some, some of these movies too. Um, you know, you look at, you know, I think the, the one that comes to mind for a lot of people and, and, and Josh and, and Jack, you guys too, it's, it's this Heath Ledger right off the bat. Sure. There'll be, there'll mm-hmm. be others uh, from the eighties and nineties that you can, you can go back to. Um, but method acting in general, uh, the gentleman, his name escapes me at this time, but the one that was in Hereditary, the young gentleman. Um, oh, yeah. He ended up being in the movie Old as well, the beach mm-hmm. movie, uh, a nice yeah. Shyamalan film. Um, so, you know, these are the things that you, you get extremely immersed. You get into a character, and if you've ever looked into dabbling into acting and, and got into some of these schools too, it's it's interesting to see um, how they teach you and, and what they want you to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have to get immersed into a character, a surrounding uh, a thought process that this character would only know and you have to put yourself in that person's life and that person's life might be it might have been active in the 20s or 50s or and modern day you don't you know whoever the character mm-hmm. may be but to get immersed a lot of these actors can't can't uh jump back and forth at a moment's notice um you know with jim carrey and andy kaufman and man on the moon you know these are oh yeah these are roles that he never left um, in the trailer um, and behind scenes in front of the screen, in front of the camera, rather. He never left that character, Andy Kaufman. His daughter, Andy Kaufman's daughter, this is interesting, Andy Kaufman's daughter in, in real life um, came to the set of Man on the Moon to visit Jim Carrey because she never got a chance to meet her father. And he <laughs> never left character because he was so immersed in Andy Kaufman Um she was basically meeting her father for the first time, which is a very unusual approach uh, yeah. for that situation. But hearing that story and, uh, and and more like it too, it's interesting to see how actors will go so deep, um, often at a detriment to their mental health or physical yeah. health. Um, 100 yeah. pound swings in weeks um, and uh, total immersion and isolation from society for six months to eight months. And in getting out of that dark hole uh, can be just as difficult as if the person was actually going through it in real life yeah i mean as you mentioned obviously heath ledger is the one that comes up complete first and josh i was going to ask you i mean like we're relatively you know the same age and Mm -hmm. you know the the batman trilogy whenever it came out it it was uh, uh, you know one of the 
the biggest talks about Marvel, not Marvel, superhero movies like DC, obviously, and Christian Bale and, and mm-hmm. that, that whole that whole trilogy. But whenever The Dark Knight came out and people started watching Heath Ledger's Joker, first, if you go back a little bit before that, they didn't think that he was going to do a good job at all, right? Like oh, people, yeah. were, people were hating on him online, all over forums, reviews, everything. And then maybe that fueled that fire for him, right? But he mm-hmm. died. He dove so deep into that character that he's unrecognizable, right? Like, yeah, you watch that and you're like, if I didn't know that that was Heath Ledger, there's no way I would I would believe you. Like, there, I, it just doesn't look like him. He doesn't act like him. He doesn't sound like him, right? So, you know. And I remember very vividly, and maybe you can attest to this as well. The first time you you watched The Dark Knight, you like up until that point, I had seen other really great acting performances, but there was nothing like that performance. Like there was nothing like his portrayal of the Joker in that movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that one. I remember seeing that one in theaters and walking away from it, going like, "Holy crap, that was incredible!" And I, I always watch movies and it's listen to music. And I do a lot of things based on just my emotions and the way that I feel during and afterwards that there's a lot of times where I can't really pinpoint and go like, Oh, this was the thing that I really liked about this movie. I just mm-hmm. know like there's times where I laughed, I cried and I walked away feeling the certain way. It was just like, that movie was awesome. I I'd have to watch it again to really like pinpoint the things that I really liked with that one. Like I walked away the same as a lot of people going like, Holy crap. That was the coolest joker I'd ever seen. Like that was done so well. And just like everybody else, I mean, that one is everyone loves to dress up as that for Halloween. That one's the cosplay joker. It's been memed and I mean, everything. I mean, it's one of the most famous jokers of all time because of the way that he did that and the way that he just killed that role. I mean, the way when he's, he's hanging his head out of the, the side of the cop car, mm-hmm. like it, it's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful when you see someone just kill something that hard. But I also, even with how like iconic the, the performance was, I even remember thinking like, wow, like it's, he's so unrecognizable as Heath Ledger mm-hmm. that even before I knew that the role had kind of messed him up mentally because of how deep he went into it. Mm-hmm. I like, you can watch that movie and feel that. Yeah. Like, I don't, is it, I don't know if that's just me, but like whenever I watch it and when I go back and watch it, you can see that performance and go, he is 150% <laughs> in that role. Like that's, he's just in that. That's him. Yeah. It's, yeah. And you can't, you can't jump wild. in and out of those either. You know, that's something yeah. you have to get into and stay in. Um, that's a total, uh, psychosis you have to get into. That's, that's a person, an entity, a character that you can't, uh, go to work and then go to the store afterwards and, you know, go back to a LA kind of life. You have to really kind of probably pick up and move your things for a while. A lot of actors do that method actors for certain scenes and certain characters, um, leave their norms, leave the normal environment and mm-hmm. isolate themselves to be with themselves and their mind and turn into that character that they need to see fit. And again, just getting out of that scene, like you mentioned, if it mental health, mental health, uh, illness issues with, with Heath Ledger, um, he turned it off or he tried to, um, a couple of times, uh, from some of his family told us. Um, and it's, it's one of those things too, where it's, it's kind of, it's kind of scary to think that, you know, you go so deep into a character and then when you try to get out, a lot of actors will fear they can't leave that person. Um, and you know, Adrian Brody experienced that with the pianist back in 02 mm-hmm. and Heath Ledger as well, you know, in, in this Batman film. Yeah. And you also mentioned too, you know, body transformation. And whenever I think of that, I think of, uh, Christian Bale in the machinist mm-hmm. where he lost, you know, 62 pounds for that role. And then um, I think immediately after that, maybe not even six, six, eight months later, he was playing, I think, Dick Cheney in a movie and like yeah. put on a hundred pounds for that, like 150 pounds over. So he, in the span of like a year and a, and a half, he went from being like 200 pounds to 120 pounds to 250 pounds. And like, n- not only is he going through these like major body changes, but he's also taking on these psychological roles where you are, you're not just doing that 
for the physique, but also you're diving into a completely different character. So you have this broad spectrum of method acting that is not just covering, like we mentioned with Heath Ledger, you know, mental and diving in, but also physical too, right? And you're going from one side of the spectrum to the other just to pull off a character and to stay in character to make a movie that's, you know, that's watched by the public or whatever. And I mean, that's your career and that's what you're doing. But like there are some roles and some actors that just go, they take it and then they go five steps further and then 10 steps further in mm. order to, to make it work and to make it believable. Yeah. Um, Bill Skarsgård's another gentleman that comes to mind too for Pennywise, the movie It. Oh, yeah. sure. Um, playing the clown. He, he had, at the time, he had some friends at his house, which made it really interesting um, trying to get into character for this uh, psychotic and evil clown character. Um, but he would often spend uh, many hours in front of the mirror in his bathroom, uh, morphing in physically and uh, emotionally into this character, becoming dark, becoming evil, and trying to make the body language fit the emotions of that character. Um, hate, resentment, you know. Sure. So, yeah. And it was really neat to see him do that. And on the way to yeah. the audition, he never left the character. <laughs> Abby. Have, have you seen him do that? His, the smile without makeup? Yes. Yeah, it's yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah his Dude, casting video was fantastic. Well, because he can make that one eye stand still while he moves the other one and yeah. then he does the smile. Oh, gosh, I get chill bumps thinking about it. <laughs> I got a secret. <laughs> I thought that most of that smile was like, mm. you know, CGI was oh, yeah. makeup and stuff. He, when he, I think he was on, I think I saw it like him do it live on, like, I don't know. Conan. Jimmy Kimmel or a Conan, mm-hmm. yeah, one of them, and like he curl curls that lip down and pops the front lip out, <laughs> and then curls the sides of his mouth up, and I'm like, oh my god, it's it's yeah. re- like his smile is real. That's not he's, CGI he's still- at all. Mm-hmm. It's that's, it, that's unbelievable. You know, I again just going back to the the dedication that it takes to you know go that deep just to pull off a scene. I you know I have immense respect for you know actors in general but also these specific kinds of you know the method acting that really takes commitment that really takes sacrifice in order to make something believable so that when you watch it you go oh i believe that that is a you know a a person that's been living in the wilderness all their life or a person Mm -hmm. that is actually you know a, you know, a psychopath, right? Like you, you believe that and not just go, okay, I'm watching a movie. And again, entertainment factor. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I do, I do want to like talk about not the specific, um, you know, examples of actors that had these kind of like long-term effects, but more of some roles that come to mind whenever you think of roles that really would have taken, um, a lot of dedication to become like one mm-hmm. thing that comes to my mind is, you know, some, somebody like uh, Zach Efron uh, that played uh, Ted Bundy, right. Recently. Yeah. Like something like that to me. And I, 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 there wasn't any, I didn't read anything. There wasn't anything that came out that was like, you know, he had to do X, Y, Z and did all of these uh, jump through hoops to, to play a serial killer. But in my mind, um, I think that something like that would take a lot of, mental fortitude a lot of differentiation between like hey i'm i'm a person that typically is in comedies and now here i am playing a serial killer and i have to give this charm and this like you know i I don't know this overall charisma that is enticing but also like i'm a narcissist i'm a psychopath right like i think yeah and i mean i would i would have to think i mean even if you're just uh trying to be a good actor you're going to be researching the character that you're going to be playing sure which researching someone like bundy means researching the horrible horrible deeds that he did like and probably looking at pictures and reading the story like from start to finish how he found that person what he did to them how he disposed of them and all those kind of things that like it's you know, I mean, yes, I like watching those kind of movies and stuff, but it's, you know, it's there's a certain way about like watching a movie or a documentary 
and not going like, okay, I'm really going to pour over the police file. I'm going to look yeah. at the actual crime photos. And then I'm going to try to pretend to be that person. That's, that's a different level than like me sitting on my couch, eating some Cheetos and <laughs> watching him do his yeah. thing, you know, it's a different experience. I would say. Sounds amazing though. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what the cheat, the Cheetos part or? 100%. Yeah. I don't think we can argue that. That's a wonderful moment <laughs> yeah. of time. You know, um, but you know, and look at Daniel Day Lewis too, and uh, obviously oh, yeah. you can name every every film of his. You could give credit to. Yeah, or to pick it's one of the out. first that pops in my head. Oh, hundred yeah. percent! Just his incredible depth Lincoln. of uh, character development and stuff too, and and uh, but you know, even with Lincoln um, morphing into that that character by by ways of history research and and looking at his writings, his personal notes to people, and and then morphing, <laughs> he created he created his voice. I think that's so incredibly amazing, and he he didn't mm-hmm. have he had no audio to go by, but by looking at the man, his stature, and by hearing people write about how high his voice was for this kind of stature he was, you know, close mm-hmm. to six three, back at, at that time was extremely tall, mm-hmm. um, and uh, being the strong man he was back in his younger days, and creating that voice, he actually slipped uh, his uh, tape into an envelope for Spielberg and said, uh, "Your your ears only." And uh, hmm. Spielberg quoted, you know, it's like I was listening to Lincoln for the first time in my life. It was so. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. yeah. So, Dude's amazing. crazy. Love it. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is, uh, I mean, obviously, whenever I think of method actor, that's one of the first people that I think of. I, and Cody, you and I have had the conversation about Last of the Mohicans and shame on you for still not ever watching it. Uh, the film historian that you are. But um Daniel Day-Lewis, I, I, I have two examples of him besides Lincoln, right? So mm-hmm. um, he actually, <laughs> he stayed in a wheelchair. <laughs> this is actually, actually crazy. He sat in a wheelchair for the entirety of the filming of the film My Left Foot, where he played an artist with cerebral palsy. He was he stayed in the wheelchair between takes. He stayed in the wheelchair to eat during filming whenever they had like the meal breaks. Mm-hmm. And he ended up even breaking two ribs because of how like feeble he got from sitting mm-hmm. in this chair just to play a person that had cerebral palsy. Right. Yeah. That's cool. So that's one example. Second example is for Last of the Mohicans. Uh, again, probably one of my favorite films. Josh, you and I two episodes ago talked about favorite film moments oh, yeah. of all time. And the ending of this movie is just by far one of, I mean, the whole movie is fantastic and there's great moments throughout, but the end of it is just absolutely unbelievable. So he actually, during the filming of that movie, he just like you mentioned, Cody, he, he left where he lived. He went to live in the, the wilderness of North Carolina for a month to prepare for it. Learned mm-hmm. how to skin am- animals, learned how to throw tomahawks, learned how to build canoes, like how to reload his musket while running, which is another iconic scene in that movie where he's he's trying to chase the uh, the one guy down and he, sh- he shoots his musket and then he's reloading it on the run. Um, mm-hmm. All of this stuff he did ahead of time of the filming, even going so far as to like wear the stuff that he was going to be wearing while filming, carrying his, his, uh, his Kentucky long rifle. Uh, with him to like his family's Christmas dinner. <laughs> That's so authentic. Like, it's perfect. It, it, <laughs> it's unbelievable yeah. the lengths that some like. Can you imagine? You're, you know, you're like, yeah, we got my 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 uncle. He's he's a famous actor, and he just shows in like full on like American settler outfit, yeah. carrying a, a musket, and he just sits down at the table next to you, and he's like, "What's up, kid?" Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Uncle Dan. That's the incredibly <laughs> difficult part, it seems like, too. It's like, you know, I've had interest in, in going into acting classes. I've, I've reached out to the Strat Center here in Tampa, Florida, um, to begin these these practices and these these lessons. And it's amazing how people that are actors now, obviously Daniel Day-Lewis, mm-hmm. you know, how do you, morph, how do you how do you morph into these characters and still have to continue your life as normal if it's yeah. even a possibility? Now I have to walk to my grandma's house or my, other, my aunt and uncle's house or whoever it may be. Show up and for dinner. I, yeah, it's just show up for dinner, and who you know, and you have your girlfriend show up, and who is she? Oh, she's Sacagawea. You know, you got to like, you, know, <laughs> you got to morph into yeah. these characters, and you can't really turn it off. It's 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 a, uh, and I think I think people like us too that, and and the listeners too that appreciate this stuff, and what brings us together is respecting and appreciating 
the craft it is because um, it really isn't just showing up and, and doing something quickly on screen and leaving. It's it's total immersion and time away from your personal life and, and interest mm-hmm. to make this happen. Yeah. And so I have a question then for, for both of you guys is if being an actor and, and going into this, which which type of role do you think would be the hardest for you in this kind of thing? I mean, would it be staying off the grid like that or losing hundred pounds or whatever? Like what, what kind of thing do you think would be the hardest for you to do? Cody, you can go first if you have. Sure. Absolutely. I I think, I think the, uh, the rapid weight loss would be, would be a challenge um, for health reasons too. I mean, Mm -hmm. Christian Bale took a huge risk uh, in doing that, but um, on a personal note too, and I don't, I don't think I've even talked to Jack about you, you about this, but um, um, I've often practiced, in alone time doing characters and I've recorded myself on video. And I think it's a good thing that for people to do that are looking at doing this for a career or even as a, a hobby in the, on the local theater scale. Yeah. But um, seeing what kind of character you can be or morph into um, mm-hmm. and recording yourself and then watch it going back again, play it back, watch yourself. And it's amazing if you get yourself into a character, but just a, a small percentage or a short amount of time and it, you're still not there. It, it, yeah. it will take longer. And now you understand why these actors go months, you know, just, you know, you have to figure out who you're going to be, what is your background and who do I need to become uh, with mannerisms, my look, your, your, mm-hmm. uh, your eyes look at somebody. It's like all these kind of things that have to play into a character. And when you look mm-hmm. back and now you understand, like it's not as much narcissism. It's almost like a necessity to film yourself and watch yourself or look in the mirror like actors do. Oh yeah. See sure. what you look like, you know? So I can only imagine. Yeah. You know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, or The Shining with Jack Nicholson. All these kind of characters <laughs> he had to morph into and play, and then snap out of after a year. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that uh, you know, there's a reason why those are practices, like you mentioned. There's a reason why you know, they, there's audition tapes, and you record one, and you go back and you watch it, and you go, "Yeah, that's not it." And you record it again, and you go, "Yeah, that's not it." Or you go to an audition, and there's 19 people out there, and only one of them is going to get the part you know, despite them all knowing what the character is and them all having an idea of who that character should be portrayed. Like, it's like only one person mm-hmm. is going to, is going to nail it. Uh, for me, I look at it in a way of like, it's very natural for me to act a certain way or be a certain way. Like I, I'm, I like to be, or try to be, or like to think that I'm very authentic with mm-hmm. my, like how I am. And I'm just, if, if it comes off as blunt or if it comes off as, whatever, like that's just, I'm, I'm authentic. So I think that mm-hmm. in acting, if I had to play um, somebody that was evil or somebody that had like, I don't know, um, a severe mental illness or that was a psychopath or, you know, as much as of a, of a horror fan as I am, I think I would have a really hard time playing a villain. Mm-hmm. I think I would have a very hard time putting myself in a role. Like we mentioned, like, Again, going somebody like Zac Efron, who always played, you know, pretty boy comedy, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, and then saying, OK, this person is going to be a serial killer. Yeah, you can still be charming, but you murder people. You yeah. are, are sick. You're twisted. You are thinking everything in the in the way of like, how can I manipulate this person? How can I, you know, you know, get this person to listen to me so that I can murder them? Like all of these things that somebody that actually has mental problems or something like that, or is just straight evil. Like if you're playing a role like that, I would have a hard time switching that switch, which is, I think mm-hmm. the whole point of what we're talking about, this method acting. Oh, that yeah. like when you, when you make that move and you say, okay, this is the person that I'm going to play, or this is the entity that I'm being. And it needs to be played out like this, flipping that switch on to then start Bill Skarsgård, right? Like when mm-hmm. he becomes Pennywise, when does he flip that switch back off and then go home to his family and say, Hey mm. guys, you know, I'm back from work. Daddy's home. You know, and he doesn't go, Ooh. you know, like, <laughs> he like, just lives in the sewer. Yeah. <laughs> like that, I think I would have the most yeah. trouble with. So then which one do you think that you would like to attempt to do or which, which role do you think that you would just absolutely kill like a school bully? No, is that what you're saying? No, no, because I, because I don't think that I'm, I don't think that I necessarily have like a, a mean, like, I don't think I'm like a, but you said I you wanna, could be blunt. 
Uh, yeah, I can, but I, I, I also that's different than I. I think that someone in the locker or whatever. I think yeah, not not a bully, but more of mm-hmm. like a. I I think I would kill a role like, um, like Steve Harrington in Stranger Things, mm. like like kind okay. of like kind of witty, kind of funny, but mm-hmm. just more like even keel, up for some action, but like also you know. Like I, I can be a little sensitive, right? Like mm-hmm. kind of that middle ground of I'm not the, the, you know, the, the main action hero, come on, the good guy, got to go, you know, not yeah. that guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm also not like the, the meek, you know, third character that doesn't do anything, but make one wrong decision and get murdered up in the attic. You know what I mean? Like yeah. somewhere in the middle there. I well, think you I heard it that. here, Netflix. If you're season five, <laughs> you need somebody that uh, we got a man for you. That's right, mm-hmm. uh, Cody. What do you think you would crush? Honestly, my my serious drama would be the better pit fit for me. It would like be, Lincoln. Um, I think dark characters, uh, Lincoln, those kind of things, I can get really immersed into. So method mm-hmm. acting is like something I really have a passion for, and I think it's it's mm-hmm. a really amazing form of of acting and um i love i love the idea of getting immersed into somebody knowing who they are why they they are the way they are and who they associate with and why they associate with them you know and totally becoming somebody else um for a moment of filming and, and for storytelling and i think just that's like i think going going back to our original interest and in what films pull us in you know what's your favorite movie kind of question beginning yeah. the podcast mm-hmm. and it kind of gets yeah. back into that you know yeah, I mean, like, to, it's what's interesting, too, is that, like, just based on the, the, the chat that we've had about method acting and, like, kind of where your passions lie with movies and you mentioning even a movie like The Revenant, right? Like, mm-hmm. I I could totally see you doing really well in a movie like that. Yeah, that's what I kind of like, too. It's funny. My father actually looks like Jeremiah Johnson, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, my well, father's son, there you, go. you know. But uh, yeah, it's interesting to to think about that, and I would love those kind of roles too. Um, comedy, yeah. I, I think my personality in real life is actually kind of uh, fun and humorous. But I think mm-hmm. for a movie, I don't know if I could play uh, a humorous role. I don't know if I could be a Jim Carrey. Yeah. I don't know if I could do that. Or not. I've never been tested, never tried. But yeah, I think right. that'd be difficult just from the from the surface level and looking in. Oh yeah, because uh, they those guys, especially like in a lot of comedies, they can be really really silly that it's like i mean especially like watching robin williams do his thing i mean the the way that he moves his face and his body jim carrey the same way i mean they are over the top silly where it's like yeah yeah i can crack a joke here and there i like to laugh i like to be a little bit silly but like they're like i mean jim carrey was called like the rubber man because of the way that he was able to do his body and his face and stuff like that that i mean yeah that that kind of stuff I think is a lot harder than people would would originally think that it would be to be funny, you know. Yeah, and a testament to Michael Richards too from Seinfeld. If you've mm-hmm. seen him outside oh, of the character of, of uh, Kramer and Seinfeld, he's not yeah. him at all. He's not even close to. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, he's no, he's racist. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big caveat: racism and, uh, mm-hmm. and yelling obscenities. But yeah, he's yeah. Uh, yeah, he's. Uh, He's got an interesting background. You watch him in interviews. He does not like really talking to people. He's not very introverted, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, rude, kind of brush. So a brass rather. So <laughs> it's interesting yeah. to see him outside because once you see Kramer on Seinfeld, you're like, oh, oh man, it was classic. I mean, Seinfeld's oh, yeah. so good. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Again, you know, you mentioned that you could see yourself even in a in a, a role like The Revenant. So my my question back to you then is, so you can see yourself doing these, you know, these darker, deep drama roles, you know, do you think that you as a person would have a hard time with the aspect of method acting that requires you to deep dive so deep into a character that you may not be able to flick that switch back off? I don't think I would have a problem flicking the switch back off, but I think it's important that human experiences or life experiences can help you pull those files out from the right cabinet. So if there was a point in someone's life um, where they had experiences that would help them morph into those characters, a memory of someone, an event of something happening. um, These are a lot of things that actors pull from to use for these adaptations and these, these character developments. 
So I think it's important that I think that reason a lot of older actors have this ability. Um, some young ones, some are very talented uh, at a young age. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the older actors, um, uh, like Robin Williams and so forth, you know, who are comedians by nature, but have a past that can help them morph into a, a darker character or somebody of a mm-hmm. deeper, uh, deeper understanding, like you know, the psychologist psychologist in, uh, in Good Will Hunting. You know, those kind of those kind of mm-hmm. characters. He's probably pulling from a lot of his old life to help facilitate the character coming out and us being able to see it on the big screen. Yeah. So you think that, you know, you would be able to do something similarly, like you wouldn't really have to worry so much about like the mental aspect of it. I think so. I think, I think your friends never change and your uh, outer uh, connections with, with friends and family are always going to be there. So you have to kind of return back to those circles at the point of it ending. Um, but a lot of actors, you know, they don't do that. They, they'll stick with it forever. And I know yeah. Adrian Brody left, he moved to West England and he sold his car and got rid of his cell phone, you know, so. For, so you know, he could play a, yeah, play a Holocaust victim. Yeah, exactly. And so he truly disconnected himself from everybody, including his loved ones. So I guess there's different variations of how far you could go, but maybe how far you need to go. Maybe that was Adrian Brody's okay. way. Of yeah. doing it. And maybe Robin Williams and other actors have different ways of getting to that, that mindset. So you, you're saying that, that you would try to rely more on on pulling from other places to get to that character rather than having to like cut people off to get to a remote place where it forced you into the character. Yeah, I think it would be character dependent too, you know. Sure. Um, so possibly the timing of the character's life and when they existed. Um, mm-hmm. Probably more primitive time, late 1800s or mid 1800s. Um, like Mr. Glass, you know, the reverend. Um, yeah, I would probably I would probably disconnect from that. I'd probably go up to Montana or Wyoming somewhere, and mm-hmm. uh, be as uh, uh, far away from people and, and things as I could, um, mm-hmm. and try to live off the land a little bit and as much as you could. Nothing nothing too crazy, but try to immerse yeah. yourself as much as possible. Lots of isolation, um, and just trying to morph into that character. As when you have a more modern character and story, then obviously you would have to be in a day to day situation and just try to work on your character in those surroundings. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think the whole thing is just super fascinating as far as how, you know, everybody from us as non-actors to actors like look at a role like that to go, hey, this is what I think it would take or this is what it, it takes to mm-hmm. be believable, to put a performance up that is actually so impressive that you, you don't think of them as like, oh, there's an actor on a set that's playing this character. This is we're watching somebody that is, you know, they're portraying this as if they truly were so much to your point that, you know, Jim Carrey, um, Andy Kaufman's daughter can come meet an actor because she never met her dad. Like that's incredible. Right. Mm -hmm. Like to to look at it that way. I think um, I also, again, doing research on this topic and method acting and you seeing how some actors, how far some of them went. I came out, came across some, pretty interesting some interesting stats and cody you probably found Mm -hmm. some of the same things too whenever you were uh, looking things up but uh a couple ones that kind of like stuck out to me uh everybody knows forrest whitaker is great actor he's been in a lot of stuff um Mm -hmm. i i I didn't see the last king of scotland cody did you see it Uh, actually i did a long time ago yeah so it's not fresh. okay glad to see them so during that obviously you know he plays um what I think it's Swahili dictator. No, uh, U- Ugandan, Ugandan dictator in that movie. Correct. Uh, but he, le- so he learned Swahili first off, which is impressive just as it is. Yeah. And then he ate nothing but mashed bananas and beans for the entirety of the filming and mm-hmm. remained in his character, the, the dictator Idi Amin mm-hmm. for the entirety of the filming. So if you like were to go up to Forrest Whitaker during the filming of that movie, he would have been eating mashed bananas and beans or mm-hmm. just acting like a Ugandan dictator. <laughs> One of the two yeah. was happening. And I just like stuff like that is surreal to me because mm-hmm. this man has a family. This man has friends. This man has mm-hmm. relatives. And I just can't imagine him at home speaking Swahili and eating mashed bananas and beans. Yeah. In yeah. between while they're filming. Like, I just, yeah. I can't. You know, imagine his kids looking at their mom going, is that okay? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's got a weird fatuation okay? for now. Yeah. Uh, 
So it's yeah, no, he, he's he's gonna be fine. Um, yeah, he'll be okay, kids. Yeah, Natalie Portman for uh, Black Swan mm-hmm. spent oh, eight man. hours a day training uh, for ball like as a ballet dancer for ballerina yeah. as a ballerina eight hours a day the whole mm-hmm. time. Like, if I'm an actress, I'm like <laughs> I'm in this for my face and because I can act and in, in, in lines and stuff. I'm not I'm not doing ballet for eight hours a day for months on end. She like ended up dislocating some of her ribs. And she was quoted saying she felt like she was literally going to die. <laughs> yeah, she lost toenails. Yeah. She, she had yeah. issues, uh, which is pretty common for a lot of, of ballerinas in the art of dance. And um, it, it was, that was a great film, though. So nice he brought that up. That was an incredible film. Um, yeah, but like, yeah, method acting. Like it's, woo. It's tremendous. Yeah. And, eight hours uh, a day. Eight hours a day. Uh, even even the immersion um, of, of Hugh Jackman. <laughs> And the Wolverine, yeah. you know, his physical transformation. Sure. And having mm-hmm. to morph into that character. Um, even that character was deep for him, which is interesting. I, I didn't think it would be, have to be for that, but he went pretty deep into it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite ones, too, that really you disconnect from the actual human is Javier Bardem and No Country for Old Men. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Most believable serial killer. Uh, <laughs> I've seen so awesome. Film. Um, he's incredible, and there's mm-hmm. nothing but ice in that guy's veins in that film. Just uh, he yeah. was he was just as creepy in Skyfall. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're like, right. He was he was unbelievable in that. Like yeah. as far as Bond villain goes, Bond's Bond villains go, he yeah. was unbelievable. Like he was so creepy. Like the the part where he like because of the cyanide, he like takes out his teeth and his like mm. face is all deformed, and he's got these like glassy eyes. He looks like a shark. Like he's got no, yeah. he's got nothing behind those eyes. It's just blackness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think he gets enough parts. Either he's not getting offered enough parts, or he's not saying yes to enough parts. But yeah, maybe he doesn't want them because he just wants to just only do yeah. iconic stuff Daniel like Day that. Lewis yeah, scenario, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, pick and choose is bad. Didn't Daniel Day Lewis retire? Would that mistaken? Uh, he, I think he might have, and then maybe he like came like he retired, and then like somebody gave him a script that he wanted, like said yes to. I don't, I don't remember the full yeah. story. Um, I think it was one of his last ones. Uh, yeah, multiple more since, but he's 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 very uh, picky about what he does, including Gangs mm-hmm. of New York and those kind of films. And every time yeah. he plays a role, if you notice, it's always a very deep character. There's never sure. a very a very light screenplay or uh, a soft story. It's always very dark, deep. And in character involved, um, yeah. so and that's his forte. So good for him, you know. And he's only given us multiple treasures on the silver screen to to enjoy and and see. So uh, I hope so he good. Can, if pick roles that he thinks are good, because obviously those end up being some of the best uh, movies for us to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, another one to note, which I just thought was unbelievable, was uh, Jamie Fox in the movie Ray. Mm-hmm. He had his eyes glued shut for 14 hours a day during the filming of yeah. that. So that he can uh, that'd be the really, really right there. Yeah. Like 14 hours a day to pretend that you're blind. I, I would imagine that once they took that, like the, the glue off or whatever, right. that your eyes would like actually be in pain because they were oh, shut sure. for so long. Cause then you, yeah. you know, you're still going home and sleeping. So you figure, you know, not only are you sleeping, you know, probably actors from five, six hours, maybe whatever a day and then going to set and then you your eyes are then shut for another 14. That leaves like literally two, three hours, right, of of uptime for your eyes in a day. That's like, interesting. That, that's a, you would have to almost like just be in a dark room at all times for those transitions to be as easy as possible. Yeah. Yeah, and it also said that that his colleagues would forget that he had prosthetic eyelids, and they would just like walk out of the room. <laughs> and he would just be like, "Guys, where'd you go?" Oh man, oh, leave me in here. Terrible. That's that's absolutely terrible. And then, and obviously, I'm sure you you read about how crazy Robert Pattinson is. Like he's another one, like a, mm-hmm. a young Daniel Day Lewis, because. Yeah. I know that he gets a lot of crap from for like Twilight and stuff, but his other movies that he's been in, oh he yeah, he is something. Um, I've really enjoyed a lot of his stuff. The, I don't know if you saw the the lighthouse, but yeah. he Mm-mm. he purposefully would like drink himself into a stupor 
and <laughs> like make himself sick for mm-hmm. the filming of that. Hmm. That's amazing. Just, that was, just that to, great. I mean, Willem Dafoe just so that he would, yeah, so that he could get into like that Madden, like so he would, he he would kind of seem manic. Yeah. Um, especially because that was the whole point of the movie. Like he was a sailor who was like losing the grip on reality. Hmm. And then there was another one where he uh, he pleasured himself, um, and they they left the cut in in the movie, like it was from start to finish. And they, Ooh, they gross! Left. Which movie is that? <laughs> uh, it was called Little Little Ashes. If uh, not that you want to look that up or anything, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, funny. Oh, where can I stream this? <laughs> gross! Where can I find it? <laughs> It's at AMC 24 this weekend. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's amazing that he, he goes that far. And that's, you know, and Timothy Shamalot too, and these actors too that are just coming mm-hmm. into their time. Um, seeing these characters or these uh, young actors doing these kind of roles and taking these challenges on is really inspiring too because of how difficult they are. Um, there's actors out there like those two people and others too that are just giving me the most difficult character and that's what entices them. That's what intrigues them. You know, how deep can they go in yeah. this character? I mean, a, be- a beautiful boy with Steve Carell and Timothy mm-hmm. Shyamalan. Um, yeah. Not only a version of method acting on his part, Tim's part, um, but the drama role and seriousness that Steve Carell can portray. He's, mm-hmm. sure. well, he's from phenomenal. Superman, where he yeah. loves lamps. All the way to loving father that had to let go of his son for the betterment of his life. Sure. So, and seeing that huge spectrum uh, is ideally the kind of person, that kind of actor I would want to be, but the comedy mm. part's always a struggle. But uh, sure. that's 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 what I love seeing. I've probably seen the movie twice. Not not a fun film to see, but on the same mm. level with Manchester by the Sea, um, you know, mm. AC Affleck and and, uh, yeah. and and that movie. And it's those are the kind of movies I do enjoy. I know it's not the most uplifting, but I do enjoy yeah. a yeah. good a good uh, written story and good act, a good good screenplay. Well, even Steve Carell, as you mentioned, I mean, I it's interesting because people do think of him as like, you know, the the anchor man kind of like, you know, he's mm-hmm. a goof, you know, 40, 40 year old virgin. Um, but he does have the other side of the spectrum, like you mentioned, with the beautiful boy. But it, Steve Carell in the office as Michael Scott mm-hmm. is like his acting in that mm-hmm. is phenomenal. The, yeah. To play that character so spot on mm-hmm. to the point where you are watching him and you are cringing, not in the way <laughs> of like it's always funny because some of the stuff that he, that he does and says, it's not even like comedy. Mm-hmm. It's so he's so good at being awkward and making it like this. This can't be a real person like this guy mm-hmm. and the way he's acting and the way he's portraying this character. This can't be a real person like there is no way that what I'm watching could like is real because this is so cringeworthy. It's so, but it's so convincing. Like it's so convincing to the point. You're just like, God, I could not imagine if this person was my boss or I had to work for this. Mm-hmm. Guy. And I think that it's funny because he's known for Michael Scott, but not mm-hmm. known for Michael Scott because of how good his acting is for all of those seasons. Yeah. That's I mean, phenomenal. anyone in the office, I mean, look at Dwight. Could you imagine him being any other way? than the way that he is, you know, on that show, like all yeah. awkward and stoic and not getting sarcasm. Like he, he does it so well. I mean, all the characters in that show, I think that's why it did so well was those guys were all, they, they took a role that was kind of a sitcom that didn't have to be like as deep as they made it. And they really, all knocked it out of the park. I have a, yeah. a lot of respect for that. I do. There's a, a genre of stuff that we haven't really gotten into that mm-hmm. I wanted to make mention because you guys didn't ask me about my stuff, what I wanted to play or wouldn't like to play. That's and true. this is mm-hmm. one of the ones that I think would be the hardest is like, I like, I like the kind of movies where a person generally like a, a young boy or something that has some, some trauma in life joins a gang and ends up, you know, going through that kind of, they kind of have that arc where they, they go into the dark side of that stuff. And then their character, you know, 
kind of sees where they they made a mistake and and kind of right their ways. Uh, mm-hmm. An example of that is like American History X. Mm-hmm. I think that would be one of the most difficult things to get into to like like as Edward Norton. I mean, not only be a did, racist. did that dude jack himself up and get <laughs> massive, but then like you're constantly every day getting swastikas and all that stuff painted on your body, you know, possibly on, I mean, like some of these guys, you know, they have it on their face and all this kind of stuff. They have to walk around set like that constantly. Like how far can you method act with that stuff and not get like shot beaten up or shot <laughs> like on set by like turning to a cameraman and saying something and be like, no, I'm, I'm pretending to be this character. It's like, that's, I, I I'm not cool with that. Like, I don't know that one to me, seems like it would be the hardest. I mean, like being in a Tarantino movie, that guy likes writing some crazy language for sure. people. And it sure. would just like, even though it's like, I can't yeah, say I, that. I would be in a movie. I, it's I like, I'm, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> he's like, no, no, it's cool. I wrote it in the script. It's like, I don't care. I'm not saying that. Like that kind of thing, I think would be very, very hard for me personally to get into. And I, I don't know how, a lot of these guys are able to to kind of go into those roles. Like I said, I like a lot of those movies, you know, like American History X, I thought was fantastic. But to do that is that's got to be rough, like filming, acting it out, like editing, being in the editing room yeah. and having to like ooh, some of that stuff is is just it's wild. It's crazy. Yeah, mm. sure. The language I, in April late was incredible. So, oh I, I yeah, 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 it's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I. It's, it's a good. That's a good point. I don't know that. Uh, yeah, that I. I don't. Know. Yeah, I mean, I would have a hard time gaining weight, losing weight, and all that kind of thing. That I think would be hard because I have a problem with that in real life. So, trying yeah. to like actually put on pounds and stuff. A lot of the other stuff, I think, like if I were an actor and it was like that was my job, I think I would want to take it to the next level. I'd like to to like really dive in and do something. Yeah. I want Marvel to call me up and be like, "Hey, I need you to be the next." captain america and we have the trainer <laughs> and the steroids lined up right here meet him at the gym tomorrow morning and then yeah like i'll dive straight into that kind of thing that's um that's cheap that's cheating yeah i think you know <laughs> well i think it's interesting because in some of the research that i did about like method acting and actors that took it you know to the extremes you know, a lot of comments that i saw were like you know method acting is great and method acting is phenomenal but at what point is it like no longer method acting, right? Like at what point do they just become this character and it almost goes too far? Like you have examples of uh, Jared Leto, right? As the Joker mm-hmm. being weird and just like getting so far into his character that he's sending like dead fish and gag yeah. gifts to the other, to the other <clears throat> actors. And like, he never takes his character off and he's like talking to them as the Joker and like, prank calling you know like things like that yeah where you're like yo it's <laughs> okay to like dial that back a little bit mm-hmm. and how does somebody like him not understand or know that and like somebody like daniel day lewis can go sit in a wheelchair for six months and like not be weird to anybody you know yeah for sure yeah. I, I, I don't know transitions <laughs> You know, I, I agree. And, and the, I guess those are things that you can't, you never be able to tell until you actually go through it. And Daniel Day-Lewis is probably um, a perfectionist at his craft, too. I and mean, just watching him in interviews speak about how he's done certain roles and how he's morphed into these roles. It's just so inter- interesting. And I could watch, I could listen to that guy forever talk about acting. Sure. Um, inside the actor's mm-hmm. studio with, with Daniel Day-Lewis is probably one of my favorite pieces. Um, mm-hmm. To hear how deep he goes into his art and his craft and and finding those characters and those voices that he portrays. So you think it is more like the attitude towards the role where like maybe Jared Leto is, he comes at it like more immaturely, like I'm going to do this and be this Joker character and act like goofy and stuff like that. And not actually that he's diving into the character, but he's just, he's acting like that character. You know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. a little bit different than becoming that person than yes. being like, oh, I'm going to act like the Joker and prank my my uh, coworkers and send them gag gifts like the Joker would. It's like, maybe that's really where the distinction comes. Yeah, I might, think so. Yeah, 
sure. Yeah, because so, something like that screams to me, like I mentioned, uh, immaturity in the craft. Whereas you can compare somebody like Daniel Day Lewis that is that takes everything so seriously, but seriously to the point of his own role, right? Like his mm-hmm. own attitude towards it, and not a I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to be, you know, a, a jerk. Yeah, he knows, what have, he knows what they have to pull from too. Like, you know, does sure. does Daniel Day Lewis have a deeper well of emotions and life experiences to pull from to form those characters? And hypothetically, let's say Jared Leto doesn't. Does mm-hmm. what, how does he how does he discover that character? If he reads about it, does he understand it? If you if you read the character's uh, uh, person who he is in the film on paper, can you can you can re- recreate it without that and having that depth or experience or yeah. knowledge in life? You know, so that's, that's a good point. You know, how can Daniel Day Lewis do it? But a 22 year old kid, um, fresh out of Juilliard in New York, can he do the same thing? You know, one's pulling from life and able to find those emotions because he's been through them. And another one's trying to emulate or mirror what he's been told it's like. Sure. Which I think, I mean, we obviously, we know explaining what something like, if I told you this is what, like we were mentioning earlier, I, I was craving a Big Mac today, right? Now, if I told you this is what the Big Mac tasted like, and you were like, oh, okay, I'm going to try to emulate what it felt like to eat that Big Mac. You haven't, you didn't eat a Big Mac today. So you, you don't have that experience today. You only have what I explained to you, right? Mm-hmm. And so me, I ate the Big Mac. I have a real world experience today of eating a Big Mac. Maybe it's the same thing. Big mm-hmm. Mac equals method acting confirmed. <laughs> yeah. And here I am opening up the Uber Eats app to take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> and Big Mac. And, and now I method acted you into getting a Big Mac. Oh, I'm, no. immersed. I'm totally immersed in your screenplay right now. Yeah, yeah that's see? Fascinating. And, that's, and that's all because of my method acting of, of <laughs> craving the Big Mac and going and getting it and just, and just yeah, I, I dove deep into that. 100%. Beautiful. Yeah. That's, That's so funny. Two thumbs up. <clears throat> um, two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert. 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 Well, you know, that I, we, we went full circle, and I think uh, we, we really touched on some, uh, some excellent points as far as looking at method acting in a way of um, kind of kind of retrospectively just like looking at it down and saying, okay, these, these actors can dive so far into the role to be almost become that person versus looking at it and being like you said, I'm trying to emulate this character and those two things being very, very different and Mm -hmm. one giving us an acting performance and another giving us an actual experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that though that really differentiates the two. Um, For sure. For sure. Absolutely. And um, just on a side note too, for a lot of your listeners and yourselves too, just, Obviously, this passion that we all shared, Josh and Jack and stuff too, and all the listeners too, is just make sure, make sure to, uh, to keep the theater alive. You know, keep going to films, participate in your local uh, your theater shows. There's a lot of uh, local uh, historic theaters that are still showing uh, old and new films. Um, just try to stay active in those circles and and keep that going because uh, the generational gaps have, have to stay filled and and keep these places going because I think it's most one of the most important experiences, not just the film but where it's seen. Hmm. Sure. I mean, for, like you mentioned, immersion, there is reasons why we like going to specific theaters, why we like going to a specific experience. There's a reason why in my new house, I'm going to be building a theater room so that Mm -hmm. every time I watch a movie, it will be at the max immersion that I possibly can get because there is nothing like watching a movie and having nothing else going on, having mm-hmm. full immersion in the sound, the screen being as large as you can possibly see from wall to wall. There's just, there's nothing like doing that when you're watching something for the first, second, third, tenth time. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, you can't beat it. Uh, so mm-hmm. I definitely 100% agree. Uh, that's really all the time we had for this week's show. Um, I would like to thank Cody for coming on uh, and being our, our very special honored guest. Uh, thanks so much. Yes, thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it, Josh and Jack. Thank you so much. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, For everybody else, you know, you can find obviously this if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, um, or even if you're on YouTube, vice versa. You can find this wherever podcasts are available. 
And as usual, check out the TikTok. We post clips and daily, I should say daily, but Josh has been slacking this week. So apologies <laughs> to everybody that's been waiting for my bad new reviews. Yeah, it's all Josh's fault. Uh, but anyways, TikTok channel, Instagram for clips and uh, reviews, highlights, all that good stuff. Uh, but from us at the Hope Hated Podcast, uh, thanks for listening and enjoy what you watch. Later, taters. Thank you.